Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Now it's Clifton. Opening minute, second period. Long pass up the right side for Brad Marchand. Moving in with a shot. Now that's how you score first and set the tone for a great game, a great game six, and the ability to force a game seven that's going to be in Carolina. I'm excited to be able to talk about it. I'm sure you guys can tell. I'm a little bit more jacked up about this win than how they played in the game before. And obviously that was because they were at home, and and we've talked about this before, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. I'm going to bring in Coach Kamire to talk about the Celtics in a little while. I might talk about the NFL schedule drop and everything that happened with that. The Patriots schedule coming up, some of the odds going on. But we got to start off with the Bruins and everything that's going on with them. This game was great. It was a, a huge motivational lifter for this team that they needed desperately. Uh, I, I, I mean... I think everyone was nervous, but not necessarily surprised by the outcome. Nervous going in, I should say, uh, but not surprised by the outcome overall, just because the home team has won every single game in this entire series, and they've all put up at least four or five goals, most of the time putting up five. So it's kind of crazy how this series has been five to two in the majority of games with the home team winning five to two in every single one of them. Kind of crazy, but great job by Marshan to get the scoring started. Uh, this was the first game that the Celt- uh, the uh, the Celtics, the Bruins had scored first to start off the game. And so, you know, it felt great to be able to go up 1 and then 2-0 in this game. But that was obviously in the second period. In the first period, you had some decent moments for the Celtics. Mean, I keep saying Celtics. I got Celtics on the brain. We're going to talk with uh, Celtics with Coach Kamara in a little bit. Zach, keep it in on point with the Bruins to start off the show. What are you doing? But it was uh, it was a good start. Pasternak came out physical. You love to see that. The Bruins started off strong once again, and this time they actually were able to kind of hold on to it as opposed to the other games where they've started off the much better team in the first five minutes, and then all of a sudden Carolina comes roaring back. Uh, but, you know, the Bruins got the first real chance because of how great that they were doing. Charlie McAvoy getting it in on net. Bergeron barely missing a second chance tip. He had Swayman with that good early save where he was kind of caught off guard and the puck was tipped downward. So he thought it was going to be about four or five feet off the ice. It ended up being two or three feet off the ice. He had to adjust to it. Great job by him. He had that crazy hit by Charlie McAvoy on Ajo uh, when he was coming across. Sebastian Ajo doesn't even see Charlie McAvoy coming. Charlie McAvoy. McAvoy even tried to avoid the hit a little bit. That's why I didn't get a penalty for it. But you see him kind of almost try and jump out of the way. Still gets Ajo, who's coming across after a great defensive play by Lindholm, who had an interesting game overall. I think overall he was a net positive. Uh, great to see his overall aggression. He was doing a great job of pinching up, making sure to get pucks, had a lot of steals, uh, turnovers for the team, able to break into the zone. Great job offensively overall, and then had some big defensive moments as well. Um, I will say, though, that he had some dumb moments as well. 
right? He had that great break-in and pass to Nosek, who drew a penalty on Ajo early, but then he comes right back, and he decides to try and make a dumb attempt at breaking it out of the zone on his backhand. When you see pressure coming, Lindholm, I don't know what you're doing, turns over the puck, and then also gets laid out by D'Angelo in the corner when he goes to get that. That was at the end of the first period, so I don't know. As the first period grade goes... He was pretty average, B minus, C plus maybe. But then the rest of the game happened. He seemed to get into where he needed to be, and I was happy with Lindholm's overall pro uh, progression throughout the game, aggression throughout the game, like I said, getting in on some offensive chances throughout the entire battle. So that was great. And then you had Marshan, who is the TNT superhero, the TNT killer. Whenever he's on TNT broadcast, he is just crushing it. He's now up to eight TNT games on the season. He has eight goals, three assists for 11 points in those eight TNT games. He is the guy. They mentioned it before the broadcast. They interviewed him going into the game, and he was able to score the first goal, getting it off on a good foot, on a good note for this team that needed it, as you heard in the little you know play-in there. Snipe City right over the glove side of Ronta when he got that great pass from Clifton from his own zone all the way to Marshan, getting behind the defense right at that blue line, able to skate in and just snipe one. Great job by him, so... I was happy with the way that the game started. Obviously, I don't see how you couldn't be as a Bruins fan overall. I will say there was one thing that I wanted to have happen going into this game, and that was Trent Frederick actually showing up and doing something for this Bruins team. You get to be put back into the lineup. I was liking what Wagner did. I know that he didn't do anything spectacular. He didn't have any points. He wasn't going above and beyond, but he wasn't making extremely stupid plays, which Frederick can do at times. Tre Frederick, obviously, the better player overall right now, the younger guy, the faster guy the more physical guy, all of that stuff, but he has a tendency to make bonehead plays. And so you had him come out, and he started off really strong. He had that that icing that he beat out, uh, but just pure effort, and obviously everyone noticed it, and it was a great play by him, great job to go and do that. But then he continues to play extremely aggressive with a ton of energy, and you're liking what he's doing until he goes a little too far and gets that tripping penalty. Uh, pretty clear one there. So, I don't know, at that time in the in, in the game, I was looking at it like I would rather have taken that icing that Frederick was able to beat out with Wagner on the ice and not get the dumb penalty. So, I, I mean, you know, we, we had more stuff from Frederick the rest of the game, but at that point in the second period, I'm thinking what Trent Frederick has brought to this team is not enough. Put, put back out uh, Wagner, who's at least just going to make the smart veteran play, as opposed to Frederick, who's going to get a little too aggressive and make a dumb play. So that's what happened there, but... There's other things that I want to keep talking about with this game. There's more to a great game six win for the Bruins, and we're going to talk about that when we get back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Love to see it. Love to see the good work that the team was able to put on. McAvoy, great pass right there. And Hollow was able to put it home. I mean, that stuff was great. You love seeing the passing, the good work inside the zone, all that kind of stuff. But before we get into all of that, I got to say, you go back into that second period, 
and there were some interesting, stupid moments. There have been some stupid moments with these these Bruins overall and just not being able to control their stick or not caring about where their stick is going. What the heck was going on with Eric Halla when you see the puck coming up over your head in that second period and you just one hand wheeling your stick around and smacking in the back of the head the other Carolina player for a high sticking call? What the heck is it? I've, I've seen that. I've seen uh, who else has had their, 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 uh, Mike Riley had a horrible one earlier in the series. There have been some horrible high sticking penalties where it just seems like they have no control over their stick. So that, you got to tighten that up. You got to tell you cannot go into Carolina in game seven and expect to get away with something like that. I mean, you even had in that that second period as well, there was a five on three because of the stupid stuff with Halla. And then you had Charlie McAvoy getting the the um, hooking penalty. You're able to beat off a, uh, you know, a, a, or kill a good Penalty, uh, five on three, then five on four, and Forbert was in the mix once again, getting a great huge blocked shot in there as well, but I don't know, something about that. I, that's something that you need to tighten up. I don't understand the the mentality with the sticks, not caring, not controlling your own stick. Figure that out. Enough high sticks in this series. You can't do that in game seven, but... Once again, great job by Charlie McAvoy. And that was right after he had gotten crumpled earlier by a big hit, I believe. I, I'm not sure who actually put, I'm trying to remember who put it on McAvoy, but it was in our own zone. One of their four checkers comes up, crumples McAvoy up against the board. You see him over on the bench hurting. He is hurting. That left shoulder, I believe, is what hurt him the most. He gets back out onto the ice. You have Lindholm with a nice pickoff and rush to get back into get in and get a shot. Great pressure by the Bruins in in the zone building. And then all of a sudden the puck gets to McAvoy, who has a great keep, puts it over towards Halla, and he's able to tip it in with 12 and a half minutes left. So great job. That was his first shift back after he was hitting, after he had got hit and was feeling it on the bench. So great job by McAvoy, able to get back in that one. And I was just happy overall. Then you had some just great shifts. One of the things that we've been complaining about is multiple shifts, being able to get involved and score. You obviously had that when you had the Nosek, Lazar, and Felino line out there who got a couple of goals on their lines tonight. One was an empty netter, but still hard work and effort. You had Forbert throwing that puck towards the the net and he's able to get a tip in great job Forbert uh, after all the block shots and everything he's done from that side nice to see him get a goal that was able to basically put the game away at that point um, I mean Carolina did end up getting another goal and then you had the, the empty netter uh, by that same Lazar Felino and and uh, Nosek line which was great good effort once again you had the stupid chippy penalty by Marshan that I believe was called spearing, which I didn't really understand what the heck was going on with that. I, I, I mean, it's end of the game. Game is over. As long as you get nothing that's going to go over into the next game, I guess it doesn't matter too much. But still, you don't really love to see Marshan doing stupid stuff like that. I still just don't understand how it was called a spearing penalty, though. I believe that's what it was called. If I'm wrong on that, maybe you guys can reach out and tell me. But I'm pretty sure that that's what it was called. Um... You have Svechnikov uh, getting his second of the game, firing it on a off the face-off dot to beat Swayman. That was an easy goal for them, but it didn't matter. It was 5-2 to two, uh, at the end of the game, and, and the, the Bruins were able to handle it. So now we're going on to Game 7, where no road team has scored more than two goals, uh, and all the, the home teams have scored basically at least five goals in their games. Uh, they've, you know... 
been big differences on both sides. The, the wins have been overwhelming. For whoever's going to win the game, it seems to be overwhelming in each one of these uh, games in this series. So something has to change. Something has to change. And where, when better for things to change than Game 7? When anything can happen, you get a chance. This is all we wanted as Bruins fans to be able to just have a chance. You're going in there, and you can't let this be Bergeron's last hurrah. You can't. You can't have his last game be in Carolina. You can't do it. I can't see it that way. So either we got to win this game, or I guess Bergeron's got to come back next year. One of those two things has to happen. But you stick it out with Swayman. I loved sticking it out with Swayman at home. You stick it out with him again. As we go into Game 7, you're going to ha have hopefully the entire lineup back, fully healthy, Lindholm. I need more from him. He needs to play as aggressive in Carolina as he just did in that Game 6, or it's going to be a problem. I need to see him moving the puck. You know, stepping up, getting steals, turnovers, whatever you need to do, pinch into the zone, that kind of stuff. Don't play, uh, you know, back. Don't play tentative. Don't don't be up or worried about hits or anything like that. He didn't seem to in that game. He was a little almost too aggressive. Like I said, that one time when he was trying to break it out of his own zone on his backhand with pressure coming and you can't get it out and then you get laid out in the corner too. He's clearly not afraid to be aggressive right now, which is good coming off of a concussion, especially that big of a hit. So you see the mentality in his head that he wants to get back in this series. He wants to do something good. So I'm going to need that in Game 7, obviously. Charlie Mack, keep doing your thing. We need the, the first line and second line. That's the other thing that I don't want to change. Do not go back to the perfection line thing. If things aren't working in this game, uh, you got to figure things out. I don't like changing mid-game. It has not worked. It has not sparked anything the two separate times that you've tried to do it in this series, Bruce Cassidy. Figure out what you need to be able to do. Just keep getting the effort in there. This team should have enough momentum going into this now, knowing that it's a game seven. You just won game six in in you know great fashion. You're able to get scoring from multiple lines. Your defense showed up. Forbert's doing things. You got the no-sec line with Felino and and uh, Smith, and uh, you know all these guys are actually showing up and doing what they need to do. Let's just show up on Game 7. That's all you got to do. Show up, put in the good effort, and hopefully score first. That's not, that, I think that's going to be another crucial thing going into this Game 7 is scoring first. We'll see how things happen tomorrow in Carolina. I'm nervous about it. I hope that I'm coming back next week to talk about the, the Bruins moving on to play against the Penguins or something like that. But this is going to be huge. This is going to be a big game. You need it. It's crucial. I'm hopeful. Let's see how things go. Go Bruins. All right, let's change it up now. We're going to bring in Coach Kamara to talk about the Celtics after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. All right, so I am bringing on Coach Kamara onto the show to talk everything about the Celtics and the Patriots, too. I want to get into the uh, the schedule drop just happened last night for the Patriots, so maybe we'll get into some of that topic as well. But we got to talk about the the Celtics. I haven't had Coach Kamire on in a little while. Uh, you know, we since before the Nets series, I believe, was the last time that I had him on. So, uh, obviously... That was one of the things that we've talked about before when bringing Coach Kamire on. He was all on the case of the Nets being a dumpster fire that was just going to fall apart and not be able to do anything. They got swept by the Celtics out of the building. So I got to give him his time to shine. So first of all, Coach Kamire, thank you for coming on to the show once again. Secondly, you called it about the Nets, right? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you, I mean, you can see it from a mile away. You can smell it. Uh, you know, big dumpster fire. 
KD, you know, that's all they really had. We shut him down after that. Uh, you know, you know, Kyrie wasn't going to do anything for it. he shut down in the later part of that series, I think. And then it was, you know, you're relying on, you know, old Gordon Drogic and all these other like, you know, past their prime players. They're trying to get something out of Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's going to come in the game and save you. Oh, my God, man. Like it was like, it, you know, what I mean, it was you, you knew uh, going into the, you know, game three, game four of the series is pretty much a wrap. Yeah, that was a that was a tough moment for them. Uh, it did seem like they were saying, and I think they were they were even saying on broadcast, like, "Oh, they should have brought Blake Griffin in earlier." I, that wasn't going to make a difference, but no, Blake gonna... Griffin wasn't going to save you, man. Like, <laughs> like that's what I love to see when like when he he came in, he hit a couple threes and everything. Everyone was like, "Oh, Blake Griffin going to be the difference maker," and I was just like, "Dude, no. Blake Griffin, maybe five years ago, but not not right now, man. It's it's too late." <laughs> yeah, I was I was certainly wrong about that one just because I thought that there was a chance that uh, the, the Nets could put up a fight just having basically the best player. I still think best player, even though he, he lost that badly to, to um, Tatum and everything, I still think Durant by himself is, is like the greatest player going right now. So heck of a performance from the Celtics to be able to do that. It did come down to one of the things that you had mentioned before, too, the fact that they just don't play defense, right? That no, was their, no. Yeah. I mean, that's thing like Celtics really turned it on defensively in that series you know and it was it was evident that you know the way that they were gonna play Kevin Durant and be physical with him and make every single time he came into the paint like giving him contact and put him on the foul line and just like you know never let him really get into a, a solid groove and I feel like that's what disrupted his whole like offensive flow during the series and then when he's not flowing offensively well, Kyrie is more apt to do what Kyrie does best and, you know, kind of just be a ball hog and take like, you know, three on ones all the time and everything. And, you know, maybe he'll make them every once in a while. We've seen it in Boston. Like he'll, he'll make a couple crazy shots or crazy, you know, layups and takes and everything like that. And he'll look amazing for a second. But, you know, it's like how many of those can you really do uh, in a, over the course of four games in a series before you run out of gas, you know? Yep. That's that's usually the case with that kind of stuff. And Kyrie Irving, it was it was fun to see him go home. You had all the antics with him. He was flipping people off behind his head. He got fined. Uh, he was, you know, saying before the series, let's leave this all behind us, Boston. Let's not worry about that stuff. And then immediately Boston was like, no, dude, we're, we're going to get on your case the entire time. So that obviously happened. I hated the narrative of like everyone being like, oh, like just racist Boston fans. It's like, no, like we just seriously don't like Kyrie Irving like it's like you know what I mean like that's that's where it's at it's like you know it's like when we have a player whether it was LeBron James or you know what I mean it was Peyton Manning or whatever when this is a player that like Boston fans don't like we're gonna come after you you know what I mean like that's it's just how it's always been it's not you know it's not anything else deeper than that you know Oh, yeah, but there's always the one or two bad apples that give the entire crowd the bad name. So that's why I was happy that there oh, wasn't yeah. any incidents like that. I went oh, to yeah. game two of that series. There was one FU Kyrie chant, but other than that, it didn't get too bad. So I was happy yeah. overall with the Celtics fans because usually there are there's that one guy that'll throw a water bottle or one guy that'll say something yeah. inappropriate, you know. So I was happy that we didn't get any of that stuff, but still had Kyrie. Uh, up in arms about it and there was actually recently he's been streaming video games I believe he was streaming like GTA or something like that and he was talking 
about his fans basically crying about the Celtics fans and still getting on him. So I wanted to play that for Coach Kamara real quick here just to kind of wrap up the whole Nets situation because I don't think that you've heard this yet. So here we go. It's but so long y'all can say the same jokes. It's but so long. It's but so long y'all can say the same jokes. Oh, Kyrie, what are you doing at home? That's how y'all sound to me. Oh, what are you doing at home? Are you going to Cancun? Where, you, where are you? Are you at home? Oh, Kyrie, you suck. All right. What, babe? <laughs> so, so Kyrie is still complaining about the fact that Fans are getting on him, still getting on his case. Kyrie, it's not going to go away. Like you said, Boston fans, they're not going to stop. And then he's over there just crying, moaning. You don't sound cool, Kyrie, when you're trying to, like, make fun of people that way. I don't understand that. What did you think of that, Coach Kamara? Oh, man. It's like it just shows, like, the type of person that he is. Like, he's not, like, the type, like, like someone like Kobe Bryant or, you know, some of the other greats in the game that they've ever been and everything, like they know how to like take the criticism, carp, uh, like, oh, mentalize it and just kind of like, you know, be able to still focus on the job at hand and what needs to be done in the given moment. I feel like, you know, Kyrie, like that stuff really gets to him. And if we as Boston fans know that it's taking, you know, it's taking up like, you know, space in your mind. It's taking, you know what I mean? We're living rent free in your mind, Kyrie. We're <laughs> going to come at you, bro. Like we're going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming until, until, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, you know, going one way or the other positive for our outcome. You know, it's like, yep. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just think he's, he's, he is a baby, you know, it's like, yes. he, can't, he can't just get over the fact that like, you know, we're going to give him crap. And, and it, I would have more respect for him. He just didn't react to it. And he was just yeah. like, you know, calm, cool, collected. I'm just going to ball. Like, then I would have respect for you because, like, that's what a professional does. That's what they. That's what you do. That's what you do when you don't like uh, people making fun of you. When you don't like a certain nickname, you don't keep bringing it up. You don't keep talking about it. You just act like it doesn't affect you. Even if it does on the inside, you Ooh. act like it doesn't, and you move on with things. So uh, I'm talking to Coach Kamara. Like I said, he is at the gym right now. So if you're hearing any banging and clanging in the background, he's getting all the uh, athletes ready to go for the upcoming seasons. But uh, the one, the reason that I did kind of bring up the Nets thing too. Uh, and, and I want to keep moving forward with the Celtics against the Bucks right now. But one of the things that happened in that net series that maybe didn't need to happen was Rob Williams came back at a certain point. And now I'm starting to question whether or not he came back a little too early. So I got to get your opinion on this, Coach Kamire, when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, so we are talking with Coach Kamire. I've brought him in to talk everything Celtics leading into this huge game six. Celtics down three to two to the Bucks. They're playing tonight in in Milwaukee. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, and it's going to be even tougher because of the fact that it looks like Rob Williams is still questionable whether or not he's going to be back. We're still finding out what's going to happen with him. He's been having swelling happening with his knee, uh, soreness obviously from the recovery. And I just kind of ended the last segment talking about the fact that he had showed up in the net series and now it's starting to feel like maybe that would have been a little too early. Maybe he we should have rested him a little bit longer. You saw the way that the Nets series ended up going. Like Coach Kamire called it, they were a dumpster fire. You didn't really need Rob Williams. I'm not going to say it wasn't nice to have him in those couple of games that he did play the last two games, but it's not like he really made a huge difference that you needed him in the series. So Coach Kamire, I got to ask, now that you're seeing 
Rob Williams missed back-to-back games with the possibility of missing more. Are you upset with the decision to bring him in in that net series where you might not have needed him really at all? Yeah, I think I said it. I was like, you know, I, I really said it being serious. Everyone was like, oh, like, you know, he might have a chance to come back like early and everything like that. And I was like, that's all good and well. But the Celtics are rolling. We're 2-0 and going into Brooklyn. I don't see why like that was the time like on the road to bring him in because like you have to realize that this is a playoff game. So like if you go in the game, like you're expected to play like, it's, you know, game seven of the finals, like it's like your winner go home. So you have to go 100 percent full intensity. So from Rob Williams going from, you know, a month and a half to of doing, you know, recovery after surgery and doing light basketball drills and getting back to that point of him, you know, being able to fully play again. For him to even go from that to jumping into a playoff series right away is a huge jump. And that's how these injuries happen. You know, it's a rapid change in load. You know what I mean? You went from, you know, doing your drills and getting yourself back healthy again to then jumping into a full-fledged, you know, 100% intensity game. You know what I mean? So I think it would have done us a lot, a lot, you know, could have done us good to give him that series off, you know, Maybe maybe we drop one of those games because we didn't have a lot. Maybe we gentlemen sweep them and we went we go four one. You know what I mean? Because we didn't we didn't insert lob in. You know I don't think he had that great effect even. I think we still would have swept him without lob. You know, but you know now we're looking in the Buck series and you know now he's already got a little bit of fatigue. He got a whole lot of rest over the past couple. Uh, you know we since we finished the series so fast and everything, but still. Like, you know, he had to come back a little bit earlier than that, and he was ready to. And then, you get you know, you're going up against a series this time where you're playing against Giannis, you're playing against Brooke Lopez, some bigger bodies down low and everything. You're getting, you know, you know how physical this series has been. Uh, so that D, obviously, you know, not being ready, maybe it would have been nice to give him, like, an extra week to fully, you know, recover and get right into, like, some higher-intensity basketball drills before – he's ready to go out there and give it a hundred percent right away. And I also think that like, you know, I'm email, I'm looking at you with this one, man. Like, I think like you, you really, you, you, you burn the chicken, man. That's how, that's the only way I can describe it as a coach. You know that this player has an injury. So you go and you're going to play him for the amount of minutes that you played him in game one and game two, and just kind of leave it him in and leave it him in and leave it in. And I understand it's the situation and you're trying to win games. It's a playoff series and everything, but, you got to be better at realizing that Lob needs to uh, he needs to go in there five ten minutes. He needs to go sit five ten minutes. He goes in there five ten minutes, sit five ten minutes. It's got to be a give and take like that, where the knees never getting to that point where it can get too fatigued and get injured again. Because I think that's what happened. I think we you know he put the burner on a little too high, didn't look at it for a little bit, came back, <laughs> burnt chick. You know what I mean? That's how yeah. this, that's these injuries happen. Yeah, no, it's, I mean it's it's definitely a good thing to second guess at this point. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> And I'm talking to Coach Kamire here, who is at the gym getting some athletes ready. So if you're hearing a little banging in the background, that's the clanging and banging of the weights, everything going on. And he's he's 100% correct. You've dealt with knee injuries yourself. You know what's going on with that. And especially in a sport like basketball, when it's all about jumping and impact and doing all that kind of stuff. And it's the playoffs on top of it, like you mentioned. He's not going to go in there for the 10 to 15 minutes that he plays and he's going to take it easy. He's going to go as hard as he can because he's an athlete. I don't care what level you're at. If you're in a playoff situation like that, 
whatever your mentality is, you're going to go in there and play as hard as you can. So the swelling is going to happen. The, the aggravation, the, the, you know, everything that you're going to have to go through in regular rehab is going to be tough. So it's just a, it's a big second guess. It's a reasonable second guess. And I wonder if it's just like, Ime almost didn't even have control over the situation. Rob was like, I'm ready to go put me back in there. And he's like, all right, I guess I'll put you back in there. But you got to have a little bit of that, that, you know, chutzpah to be able to say like, Rob, no, I need you to stay on the bench. I need you to like, let's not, I don't need you in this net series. Maybe if we get down, I'll, I'll force you back in. But we're up 2-0 already, like you said, going back into Brooklyn. I don't really need you. Let's see how game three goes without you. And then we'll go from there. Instead, they don't. They they put them back in there. And that's great. You you sweep the nets. But now it's way more important that you have him in against the Bucks, and he's nowhere to be found. So I, I that's been frustrating to me. Uh, it, you know, there's been good things that have happened because of it. I mean, Al Horford has gone on an absolute tear, uh, being the guy, being our big man that has been able to, you know, come through for us. He's gone one-on-one, toe-to-toe with Giannis and been able to beat him in certain scenarios. You saw him dunk on his head the other day and, and elbow him in the face. You, you've seen him, uh, you know, have these great performances, had a career-high playoff performance, stuff like that. So I've been happy with Al. I've been happy uh, with Jalen Brown's done great in this series. Tatum's been a little bit interesting, though. That one's been a little up and down, and I got to ask your opinion, Coach Kamara, on what you think about Tatum. Obviously, he's our best player. Obviously, he's getting himself into the conversation of top five, if not top three players in the entire league at this point. He's going through guys like Durant. He's in it in a series against a perennial MVP candidate like Giannis. So I got to ask, are you satisfied with the way that Tatum has shown up in this series because he's been a little bit up and down. Do you think that he's going to show up tonight in game six? And we're going to get all those answers when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, we're back on the Claptrap, and I have brought on longtime reoccurring guest, Coach Kamayer, to talk all about the Celtics. He's a big bleed green type of guy. Uh, and we're going into a crucial, I mean, obviously crucial game six, win or go home situation in Milwaukee because we lost game five at home, 110-107 to those Bucks who were able to make a huge comeback in the fourth quarter. You had a 14-point lead, I believe, with 10 minutes left or something like that in the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, the Celtics start jacking up a bunch of threes, and one of those people that was doing that was our main man, Jason Tatum. So I kind of alluded to it in the last segment, ending and off talking and wanting to know how you, uh, what your opinion, Coach Kamire, has been about Jason Tatum in this series specifically. He had 34 points in this game, but it was on 29 shots. He went 2 for 11 from three-point range. I mean, he was able to do a lot of good, but also there was some moments where he was just not shooting well. Have you been satisfied with Tatum's performance? Do you think he needs to step up more? Do you think that he needs to go out there and win you a game six right now and prove that he is the guy? Or have you been okay with his performance so far, Coach? So, I mean, with Tatum, it's, yeah, like you said, it's been up and down. He's had his his games where he's looked, uh, you know, decent and everything, but he really hasn't blown anything away like he did in the Nets series and everything. I think that's, you know, a testament to the uh, defense of the Bucks. I feel like they're not making it easy. They're not giving him good – they're running out in the threes. They're not giving him good looks from three. And you know Tatum. He's going to want to get his, like, you know, eight to ten threes up a game. Like, you know, that's just the player that he is. And, you know, when he makes six of them, 
We won't, we won't say anything. You know what I mean? But when he, when he's, when he goes and he, and he's two for 11 or whatever, uh, then that's when he's going to get scrutinized and everything. I'm not going to blame game five on Tatum at all, though. I mean, 34 points, he got what he had to get done. Uh, you know, game five was really about the end of the, you know, the end of the game scenarios, poor decision-making. I think, uh, you know, again, uh, you look at the young coach, you look at Ime, you know, you, you're, you know, all we need is a rebound to win game five. We need a rebound off a free throw to win game five. Yep. Who do we have underneath the hoop? Not our big men, not Tice, not Al Horford, you know, not Grant Williams. We have Marcus Smart underneath the rim. Why we have why we have our shortest person we have out there, not Tatum, not Jalen even. No, but we have we have Marcus Smart out there to try to grab the board over Bobby Portis, who's considerably larger. So that was a pop, awful, awful decision in my my part. Like you have to you have to be thinking about every little detail at this point if you want to win these games. You know what I mean? This is playoff basketball when it's coming down to one point, one basket. You can't have that mental slip up and leave a guard into rebound off off a potentially missed free throw to win the game. Like that, that, that really grinded my gears, obviously. Um, so then we move on and then it's like, you know, we have the next possession. We're down by one point. This is an easy, you know, get to the line or, you know, get an easy two. you know what I mean? Just get a good look. And we immediately in the bound, inbound the ball to Marcus Smart and try to get him a run at the rim, like against two, against two defenders, against two, like, what is, what is that look? I don't understand that look at all. Even, even if, he didn't get blocked by by Drew by Drew like he, like that was not I don't think that shot was going in you know what I mean that was that was a poor shot poor decision making poor play call you know get the ball into the hands of your superstar give it to Jason Tatum give it to Jalen Brown give it to Al Horford because he's proven that he can get it done right now Marcus Smart should not be handling the ball in this scenario it's ridiculous so then you move forward you get to the end of the game scenario we're down by three points now we in the bow of the ball to Al, who hitches it off to Marcus Smart. Marcus is going down the left sideline. Meanwhile, Tatum had broken away from his defender to the right. All you have to do, Marcus, is get the ball right away, toss it over to the right corner to Tatum. Tatum shoots the three and tie over, go to overtime. You know? Like, it, it, was, it was a perfectly designed play call and everything, but, you know, maybe it's just, maybe just me, but maybe Marcus Smart isn't the one you give that opportunity to pass the ball to Tatum. Maybe that's a situation where you get more of that point guard type in there. And as much as people aren't going to like it, but you, maybe you get like a Peyton Pritchard in there. You know what I mean? You take, cause he's, he's a better passer, you know, maybe he, maybe give him a bet, an opportunity to ball handle and get him in that situation. But, you know, Marcus Martin, as good as he is on defense, you know, we've just seen time and time again through this series when he has the ball in his hands with the game on the line, it's not necessarily gone his his way. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And I think that that last chance situation, the last one there was tough because, yeah, you got to be able to see, you got to have the awareness and find Jason Tatum in that situation and be able to do anything. But you shouldn't have even been there in the first place. Like you said, the coaching decision to put Marcus out there and to not have our biggest guys, not that I'm trusting Tice anyways. I absolutely hate him. You know I don't like Tice anyways. And I think that he, as one of our big men, being one of the least rebounding guys that we have out there has been super frustrating to me, but I don't want to go off on a tangent on him. 
he should have at least been out there. I agree with you. Just put the big bodies out there. You're more likely to actually get a rebound in that situation. The second situation, though, that you brought up with the inbound pass when you're only down one. So I got to defend Marcus a little bit on that situation just because apparently it has come out that the play was supposed to be run to inbound to, uh, to Jason Tatum. But unfortunately... Al Horford, the one guy that I've been saying has done so great, he's he he won you he's won you playoff games. He's had outstanding performances game after game, and maybe he's a little tired, but that's no excuse for the fact that he was supposed to set a screen for Tatum. He didn't move quick enough. The guys are all in their head and they're thinking five seconds, got to get this ball in right. So all of a sudden, Marcus Smart's moving like uh, I guess pass it into me. They pass it into Marcus Smart instead of getting the the screen for Tatum from Al Horford. So that one was on Al Horford for not moving quick enough in that scenario, getting a screen. And so Tatum can try and get open. Now I do also blame Tatum there because you're the guy you got to try and do something. Don't just stand there. Just try and move and get the ball open to yourself. Instead, you have Marcus smart being that guy who's like, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, somebody's got to do something here. He gets the inbound pass. He tries to go to the hoop, obviously gets blocked. So I can't put that one fully on Marcus. I actually got to put that one on Al Horford for not moving. And then also on Jason Tatum for not moving and trying to get open. You got to be that guy to get there. But then after that, like you said, Marcus Smart rolling, running up the court, has the ball. Tatum is over there, wide open. Just give him the ball, man. Just throw, you could lob it up there as high as you wanted to. What is going to get to him, no matter what? I, I I don't know. So that one was tough. But the second situation, I do got to kind of put that one, or I got to fully put that one on Al Horford. As much as I hate that, because I think that he's done great. I think he's been your MVP so far. But that crucial moment, like you said, these are playoff games. They can come down to one or two baskets. That's all that happens in those scenarios. So. It's yeah, I, I guess you're there. I guess you're there. But, like, I, you know, even in that scenario, like, Marcus, you get the ball and you drive down in the paint. You obviously – you have to have the presence of mind. I'm attracting two defenders right now by driving in the paint. If I'm attracting two defenders, somebody's wide open. Somebody somebody on the court right now True. is open. You know what I mean? You have to have the presence of mind to make a pass. Make yep. a pass. You back up to the top of the key for three. You know, you can, you could, you could, you know, someone's, someone's probably coming around behind you. You know, there's somebody is open on that play because there's two guys on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're yeah. driving into the rim and out of your peripheral region, you got to see Drew Holiday's coming to your, coming on your left. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he didn't so, know. So for that, for that, you know, that's enough. That, and then the second time in a row. So Drew Holiday pretty much took, took Marcus's candy twice in a row. That's how I, I saw the end of the game. I was like, Drew Holiday just said, like, just outmanned our, you know, our like, you know, tough guy, our defensive MVP, you know, twice in a row at the end of the game. So like, you know, I just don't know in tough. those scenarios that Marcus is the one that needs to have the ball in his hands, man. Like, let's get the, let's find different ways to get Jason Tatum the ball at the end of the game scenario. Cause one of the two things is going to happen. My man's going to bang a three or he's going to get himself to the line. It's one of two things going to happen. Oh, he's you know going to break mean? a three. I, you know, who knows? Well, you know. <laughs> but I'd rather it in his hands. He can, he can, yeah, I would, I, I, if, if Tatum goes and we give him the ball in that last play and he clanks it off the rim, I live and die with that. 100%. That's true. That's 100%. true. I can't, I cannot, I can't go to bed at night thinking about how Marcus Smart, you know, just threw the game away at the end. I was, oh. It's Dude. tough. It's a hey. tough scenario. And now hey. we're going into a game six, crucial game six. Dude. So I got to get your opinions on what's going to happen in that game. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap 
All right, we are talking with Coach Kamire about everything Celtics-related right now. He is at the gym, so you might be hearing, you may have been hearing throughout this conversation, some clanging and banging going on in the background. Just want to keep reminding everyone of that, uh, that, that there's nothing crazy going on in the background here. We just got some weights being moved, which is good and something that we uh, love to see from Coach Kamire and one of the reasons why I bring him on this show because he knows the ins and outs as a coach and what these teams need to do things that they that need to be done and we're looking at the Celtics game six against the Bucks in Milwaukee tonight and trying to think what does this team need to do who needs to show up for them to be able to win this game so I gotta ask you coach I know that you probably have Celtics in seven we're not talking about that I have Celtics in seven as well I believe that this team is going to be able to come back but what do they need to do to be able to come back in game six who is going to be the crucial factor in game six to you for the Celtics to come back here all right. Uh, the crucial factor is the men in stripes, man. Uh, listen, I'm not, let's call a spade a spade, bro. They gave them game two. I expect you to return the favor tonight. All right. You know, you gave them game two. We, we, I saw, I saw goal tens that shouldn't have been, that, that weren't called. We saw fouls that should have been called that weren't called. We saw a lot of funny stuff happen in game two. All I'm saying is that tonight you have to return the favor and we have to force this game set. You know what I mean? You cannot let the same stuff that happened in game two happen in game six in the, in favor for the Bucks, man. You know what I mean? If, if the NBA is truly doing what I think that they've tried to do ever since game two and push this to seven six, because I mean games, then I, I think we should a hundred percent win this game. And I don't, and I don't like making things about the refs and, and things like that, but we all know this is a business. All right. This game, this 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 series is going seven games. The NBA wants it, and all the fans want it. You already gave them games who everybody knows that. Everybody that watches basketball has said that that we got we got hosed in game two. Game seven is a must. Game six, whether the Celtics go out there and just dominate right away, whether the Celtics, you know, get some calls that they got in game two. Whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. The Celtics are winning tonight. And I fully expect, you know, Jason Tatum to have a game. He's going to have 40-plus. He's going to get himself to the line about 15, 20 times. Al Horford going to have a game. He's going to be playing. The nation's defense has given us the entire time against Giannis. Grant Williams is going to be going out there, giving us his nation's defense. He's been giving Giannis, banging him around the whole time. But I can't have Giannis going to the line freaking 25 times and then just hand them this game. Okay, because that that's what the that's what the Bucks are going to look to do. The other thing that I'm looking at right now is the fact that yes, like they won Game Five, we're down three two. It's not looking good for the Celtics, but something tells me what was going on at the end of that game with Giannis and like you know he got the hits to the forehead, he's bleeding out of his eye. You know what I mean? You could just tell, and he's he's what he had two offensive fouls in the course of that fourth quarter. He had like four fouls in that fourth quarter. That's showing me that my man is showing signs of fatigue. Uh, because of that, I think that we are in a much better position to win this series than a lot of people are giving us credit for. I think Giannis is running out of gas. I think he's getting to that point where he's played how many minutes in the past you know, five games in a row. I think the Celtics have been a little bit more spread out at giving minutes to certain people and trying to keep everybody a little bit more fresh because they knew this series was going to be going six, seven games. Whereas I think right now you're going to see guys uh, like Giannis getting tired, 
not making, you know, having more offensive fouls, more mistakes, and whether the refs are helping us or not, like, you got to call these things. When Giannis is running to the paint, full head of steam, and doesn't control his body, and throws an elbow, throws a shoulder, whatever it is, and he can't control his own momentum because he's tired, you can't just call that a foul on the Celtics, man. It's, it's basketball. When it comes down to it, another player cannot run at you full speed, elbow you, shoulder you, and have no and just have reckless motion towards a defensive player who has his feet set. We've seen that happen time and time again throughout this series. And I need to see the reciprocation from the referees tonight. And when Giannis is tired, when Giannis is running down the court and doing these things, you need to call him out on. I don't care if he's your MVPs, your finals MVP, whatever it is. You know, we got to call basketball basketball, bro. It's true. It's true. No, I, I think you nailed it. I do think that Giannis is starting to get a little bit of that fatigue factor. It's obviously a much more physical series than he probably faced against the Bulls. You're not getting that punch back like that you get from the Celtics. So it's certainly happening that way. And then obviously on top of it, not having Middleton is huge for them. Uh, you know, they have Drew, they have Portis, they have these other guys, but not having that extra body in Middleton, a lot more stuff goes on Giannis. I, I also... As much as we don't like to talk about the refs here, I do think that they're going to try their best to make it go seven uh, mm -hmm. as much as they can. Like you said, the league wants that. Everybody wants that. Put it to game seven, uh, and we'll see what happens. All you got to do as a Celtics fan, get us a game seven. Anything can happen in game seven, and you'll have it at home, so that'll be great. Um, for me, though, I got to be honest, it's got to be one role player. I need one role player to show up tonight. I don't care if it's Grant. I don't care if it's Derek White. I don't care if it's Peyton Pritchard. Somebody needs to show up, hit some threes, make some defensive plays. If it's Grant from the corner, if it's Derek White making good offensive plays and finally actually hitting shots for once like he kind of did the last game. Somebody needs to step up for the Celtics. Give us an extra something off the bench because I believe the Tatum's going to have a great game like you you believe. I believe that Jalen will be able to do his thing. Horford will do his thing. But can you get that one more extra guy that can give you a little something? That's what's going to put you over the edge. That's all you really need in the last game. Just a little bit of something extra, and you were right there. So. I feel like if we can get something out of one of those guys, I'll be extremely happy. And I think that no matter what, you're going to keep it close. We've kept it pretty close in all these games at all times. You have a chance to win. This time, you just got to be on the right side of it. So uh, I, I got to say thank you again to Coach Kamara for coming on. I know you got to get to some training sessions and things like that, so we're going to have to let you go. We'll talk about the Patriots in the future. I'll bring you back on. We had schedules come out. I'll talk about that uh, later on in the show today, but we'll bring Coach Kamara back on to, think, uh, to get his Patriots thoughts and things like that. But thank you, Coach, for coming on and talking about this, uh, this Celtic series. Hopefully, we're going to have a Game 7 to talk about as well. Yeah, man. Uh I believe green, man. I believe Celtics going to win game seven. Just like Kevin Garnett said, man, I'm bringing my bazookas. I'm bringing my Uzis. I'm bringing, you know, that thing with the silencer on it, whatever he said, man. Like, it, it, these next two games, bro, it's – it's uh, we got to find out who's the real dogs in this team. Jason Tatum, are you a real superstar? Are you going to put the team on your back? Jalen Brown, you know, you're always on that cusp of all-star, superstar. Is he the guy? Can you have a game where you drop 40? and just put the team on your back. Al Horford, keep doing Al Horford. You're doing amazing right now. Marcus Smart, play defense, get turnovers, do what you do, do what the defensive MVP does. Don't touch the ball under two minutes. We're good <laughs> with that, bro. That's all I have to say. All right, man. Hey, well, we appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.
The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, we just had a great conversation with Coach Kamire talking all about the Celtics. He had to get off the call, though. I was hoping maybe we could go over the NFL schedule release. Such a huge moment in the offseason for the NFL. You got to get a live schedule release at 8 p.m. on a, a Thursday night when everybody else is trying to watch playoffs, uh, other sports, and other things like that. And the thing, half of it got leaked you know, within the week before. So all that kind of stuff. I don't know. This is the most overrated thing of the NFL offseason easily, right? The the NFL schedule release day. I know they try and pump everything up because we all just love the NFL. And yes, you're going to get a big group of fans that are going to watch this too and act like this is a big thing. But I don't know. It, it's just for more ratings. I get it. And hey, it works. So congratulations, NFL. You did a good job on on doing another thing that people can get hyped up for. NFL schedule release day. But uh, we'll get Coach Kamire back on to talk about that in the future. I'll probably bring on Andrew as well. I got to get his opinion on the new schedule and everything going on. And I do want to do a full breakdown kind of of how we're going to see the way too early predictions on how this, the Patriots are going to do with this schedule upcoming. It's going to be a tough road this year. The AFC is fantastic. They got much better, more quarterbacks, more weapons all over, especially in our own division in the AFC East. So it's going to be a crazy year to talk about from an AFC perspective. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the odds that have come out from Vegas, right? So we're talking about the schedule and everything, and we can get into the breaking down of when you're playing each team and what week and how we think we're going to do, and I can get into that as well. But the first thing that I wanted to talk about was something that was coming from Vegas. It was actually the Caesars Sportsbook, but Vegas numbers, uh, basically the two early predictions on best odds to win the Super Bowl at this point. Um, and so, you know, what teams they think are going to go based off of the, the schedules that they have, what was leaked, all that information, they've already dropped their odds out there. So if you feel great about any of these teams, I would suggest going out there and getting these numbers now, because as the off season moves along, you don't know what's going to happen. Injuries, uh, whatever call ups, get, you know, releases, whatever, how the, the schemes are going to work. These teams are still trying to figure things out. So these odds are going to change obviously, but. You got the number one overall team. The team that is has the best odds to win the Super Bowl is the Bills. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to be the Bills at plus 700 is what I am seeing uh, them getting in Vegas. Like I said, this is from the Caesars Sportsbook, but I believe this is all of Vegas right now is around these same numbers. You got the Bills coming in at plus 700, the best odds for them. So if you're not a gambler out there, just so you know, these odds, when I say plus 700, that means if you put 100 bucks down, you're winning $700. All right. So the Bucks are the next team in line at plus 800. You put 100 bucks down, the Bucks win it. Tom Brady goes out there and gets another ring. You get $800. So remember that for non-gamblers. As gambling becomes legalized soon in Massachusetts, it seems like it's going that way. And that'll be fun for people like me. But the people out there who aren't and don't understand the lingo, that's basically what we're talking about here. So... Uh, the, the other interesting thing is the Chiefs is the next one in line at plus 900, and then the Packers after that at plus 1,100. So that's four teams right there with the best odds to win the Super Bowl, 
and the Rams, the former champs, are right outside of that at plus 1,200. So interesting to see that the Rams aren't in the top four picks for the Super Bowl odds at this point. Not, you know, coming off of a championship, you know that they're in all-in mode right now. They're going to continue to try and be that way for this short window that they have. So surprising that they have the Rams at plus 1,200. That might be something worth sprinkling a little money on if you are a gambler out there just because the Rams are going to be going for it again, and they've already proven that they can do it. They have a great defense. They have a good offense. Uh, They got the quarterback finally, so they're going to be good. Uh, But as you move on, the other storylines that I'm finding out, there's no surprise in this next storyline that I'm going to talk about right here, and that's the fact that the AFC West is absolutely stacked, just like everyone thought. So not only did I already mention the Chiefs at plus 900, but you also got the Chargers and Broncos coming in at plus 1600, which are two, so now you have three teams, I should say, in the AFC West in the top eight odds to win the Super Bowl. Three teams in the same division with the top eight odds in the entire league. The AFC West is absolutely stacked. And that's not a surprise to anybody. No, I'm not breaking any news right now. Everyone knew that once Russell Wilson went to the Broncos, and even though they're dealing with some issues with Jerry Judy, which I'm not going to get into. If you're interested in that, you can go look into what's going on with Jerry Judy, uh, the wide receiver of the Broncos. But they have Russell Wilson now. And then that also that division has the Chargers in it that are up and coming with Herbert. And obviously they went out and they got J.C. Jackson and they're going after these guys left and right trying to bolster their roster as much as possible. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, who I still consider to be the best quarterback in the game right now. That's obvious. And then you have the Raiders, which the Raiders are way down the list. But they're no joke. They're no slouch. And you got Josh McDaniels, which good luck, Josh McDaniels. Have fun with all of that. But... They, they, they're at plus 5,000, so down the list a good amount of ways, but mostly because of the fact that they have to play in that division, I would think, right? They're a solid team, but they have to play in that horrible division, so all of a sudden you're dealing with the factors and having to, you know, see as predicting for the Vegas, you know, odds and everything like that, having to go through the Chiefs twice, the Broncos twice, the Chargers twice, and then come out and still be a Super Bowl favorite, You know, that's a little tough. So I understand where they're coming from with that kind of stuff. But that AFC West is absolutely stacked, and it makes it so that the whole entire AFC is is a much more stacked conference as well. Uh, And there's one more thing. Before I get into the AFC East and their odds, because I do want to get into that, the one last thing that I will mention, the team that lost the Super Bowl, the Bengals, they are tied for 11th. The best, uh, 11th best odds to make it and win the Super Bowl with the Ravens at plus 2,200. So they, they're, they're, the Super Bowl slump, the Super Bowl hangover of getting to the Super Bowl and then trying to come back. Vegas is predicting that they have the 11th best odds of winning the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen as far as Vegas is saying there. So surprising, but I can't wait to tell you about the surprising part about the AFC East. That's our AFC East with the Patriots, the Dolphins, the e- the uh, Jets, uh, the Bills. Obviously, you already heard what the Bills are going to be. I'm going to tell you what the rest of the odds are when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. All right, so we're going over the NFL schedule release. We had Coach Kamir on earlier to talk all things Celtics. Before that, I went over the Bruins and their great win in Game 6, heading to a Game 7 tomorrow. We got the Celtics tonight playing Game 6, trying to force a Game 7 as well. And I'm going over the Patriots right now. But if you missed any of that stuff earlier, this will all be up as a podcast. Wherever podcasts are found, just search The Claptrap. You'll be able to go back and listen to it. And I'd really appreciate the likes and listens 
odds that you could give to me there. So we already went over the majority of the odds for the 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 top dogs in the league which you have the bills in our own division the AFC East as the number 1 favorite at plus 700 right now and that is going to be tough that's a major roadblock in the way for the patriots trying to at least make a playoff run and get in there and see what they can do once again last year it didn't work out you get to the playoffs you get absolutely stomped by the bills so we're going to try and get better and keep improving as we're re building this team with Mac Jones and everything going on. But I got to say, I was a little shocked when I go on there to find out that Vegas currently has the Bills as the best odds in the AFC East and the second best odds to win the Super Bowl goes to the Dolphins. The Dolphins are at plus 3,000. The Patriots are at plus 4,000. So, once again, for the non-gamblers out there, what that means is if you put 100 bucks down on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl and by some miracle chance they win it, you'll win $4,000. Seems like a long shot. It is a long shot. But the fact that they have the Dolphins at a higher place than the Patriots to start all of this off is so disrespectful to me. I understand that they've played pretty good against the Patriots recently, but they've recently lost their head coach. They're going with a new system there. Yes, they're bringing in Tyreek Hill, but if Tua Tungavailoa can't get him the ball, is he going to all of a sudden become a cancer? You saw the Dolphins putting out a, a hype-up video of Tua trying to throw to Tyreek Hill, and you can clearly see that he underthrows him. When he winds up and tries to give his best toss possible, everybody's been making fun of this lately, uh, and he tries to you know wind up, go deep, and Tyree Kill, you can clearly see him have to slow up, wait, and catch the ball. So he's going to be like fair catching punts out there with these wobblers that Tua's going to be sending, and nobody's going to be surprised by that, right? Nobody actually thinks that Tua's a good quarterback. The guy can't pass more than 15 yards. He's basically Cam Newton. That's what when he the, the Patriots version of Cam Newton, that's what you're getting with Tua at this point. And he's actually young and it and, and supposedly at getting into his prime of his career, right? So they have a lot of great weapons. Obviously, Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, that's going to be a beastly duo going forward. They've got weapons. But can Tua actually get them the ball? I'd be shocked to see if they could. I know that they have a decent defense as well. And for some reason, everyone always wants to make the Dolphins out to be a much better team going into the year than they turn out to be. That's every single year. So I can't go and, and think that that's actually going to be the case once again this year. I don't think that they're actually going to show up and be good this year. And you start off Patriots versus Dolphins week one, so we're going to find out right away. But man, plus 3,000 for the Dolphins, plus 4,000 for the Patriots. I'm upset. I'm disrespected at this point if I'm a Patriots player. That is frustrating. But hey, at least we're not the Jets, right? Nobody's the Jets right now, unless you're a New York fan out there listening, which I, my heart goes out to you. I'm sorry that you have to follow along with a Jets franchise that is so bad and is going to continue to be so bad. They are at plus 15,000 along with the Lions. They're at the place with the Lions for the second worst odds in the league to win the Super Bowl, the Jets are. So hey, Patriots fans, at least we can hang our hat on the fact that we're not the Jets at this point still. You still have that. They're still trying to figure things out. You're also not the, the Texans either who are at plus 25,000. So 
if you put a hundred dollar bet on the Jets or the or the Texans and they somehow miracle win a Super Bowl, you're getting a pretty penny back in that there's just no chance that it'll actually happen. So I don't know. It's it's interesting to see the odds. Obviously, they're way too early. Like I said in the last segment, you still have OTAs, you still have all the offseason stuff to go through. Who's going to get injured? Somebody will. Unfortunately, you hate that and you don't want anyone to ever get injured, but somebody's going to get injured. Some major piece is going to go down, whether it's on defense or offense, somewhere around the league. It's going to change the odds. So like I said, if you like any of these odds right now, I would suggest going on there and putting in your money now because they are going to change as you know quickly as the next couple of months. It's just going to happen. So like I said, I do want to go over and break down each one of the Patriots scheduled games uh, and and predict wins and losses. Way too early predictions on that. I want to do that with Coach Kamire. I want to do that with Andrew. But for me right now, I just wanted to kind of look over, give an overview of what's going on. Some of the crazier things that I've seen, especially the weeks 12 through 15 portion of the schedule where you start off with week 12, which is the Thursday night football game on Thanksgiving. So the Patriots are playing on Thanksgiving at the Vikings. That's great. Love that. I'll try not to be in a tryptophan snooze coma by then by eating too much turkey and be ready to stay up for the game. But you got the Thursday night game for the Patriots on Thanksgiving at the Vikings starting at 820. Then the next week, you're playing once again on Thursday night football, this time against the Bills. So back-to-back Thursday night games on on Thursday for Thanksgiving, November 24th. Then on December 1st, Thursday night football against the Bills, a home game against the Bills. That's going to be an interesting one later on in the season, playing a home game against the Bills. We'll see how that goes. The following week after that, week 14, you play Monday night at the Cardinals. So that's three straight primetime games, 12, 13, and 14 weeks, 12, 13, and 14. You're playing Thursday night football on Thanksgiving, Thursday night football against the Bills, and then Monday night football against the Cardinals. And it doesn't even stop there. You're in one more primetime game the week after that on week 15 in Vegas at the Raiders against Josh McDaniels and that squad on December 18th. Uh, at 8.20, a Sunday night football game. So that stretch of football from weeks 12 to week 15 is going to be so wild. It's all primetime games, and we're going to get to see all of it. It, it. And that's not even, they have four primetime games right there. They have one more primetime game earlier in the season, week seven. They're playing Monday night football against the Bears. The Bears of all teams is going to get a Monday night football game. I guess everybody gets a Monday night football game. But five primetime games for the Patriots squad that, I I don't know, nobody has faith in them. I'm just kind of shocked. I'm shocked overall. But like I said, I'll break down everything with that schedule next week or the weeks after that with Andrew and Coach Kamire, and we'll get predictions and all that kind of stuff, the way too early predictions. But that's going to end up doing it for the show. I wanted to say thank you to anyone tuning along on WKKL on 91.5, 90.7, any of the stations that you're listening to, I really appreciate it. Or if you're listening online, I also appreciate that as well. Like I said before, this will be up as a podcast. Wherever podcasts are found, just search The Claptrap. You can also search for me on Twitter, Instagram. I'm on both of those social media platforms trying to grow an audience as well. So I'd appreciate any follows that you could give me. I will be back again next week, hopefully talking about a Bruins win hopefully talking about a Celtics couple of wins. This is going to be a busy weekend starting with tonight. Go Celtics. Hopefully they're going to be able to force a Game 7. Then you got the Bruins tomorrow, hoping that they can take care of it in Game 7. We'll see. It's going to be a crazy weekend of sports. I can't wait to talk about it next week, and I will be doing that. So hopefully... 
You guys have a great weekend. We have a great weekend. Our teams have a great weekend. And I will talk to you next week with a happy attitude. All right. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative. See you later.